is how relationships have been, so complicated, so uncertain, so unknown, so um, maybe uncommitted and undefined. They've, we've created a whole new word, a whole new category, situationship, right, to try to just de describe the complexity and complication around relationship. It's because we are made for relationship, we are designed by God to be in fulfilling relationships, that we desire to have fulfilling relationships, not only with God, but with other human beings. Like we want to have relationship with somebody that can actually meet us in a spot where we can find satisfaction in those relationships. That is a really good desire inside of you. In fact, I believe God put that desire inside of you. But the moment that we stop really looking to God for how to achieve fulfillment, satisfaction in relationships is the moment that we start to invite destruction, pain, heartache, baggage into our lives. I mean, a situation in its nature is this undefined, uncommitted, really vague and really blurry relationship that is a pathway to all kinds of brokenness and pain. That is like a slam dunk guarantee. I am going to have a lot of pain in my life if I don't fight for the right things in this relationship, if I don't provide clarity, if I don't bring leadership, if I don't bring the right kind of um, perspective, this whole thing, man, we are just heading for destruction. And so remember this, the goal is this, to have fulfilling relationships, to have fulfilling sex, to have it actually be what it's intended to be and meet those needs that are deep inside of our souls and our minds and our lives. And so as we look at this today, I know that that's my goal in this conversation is not to um, bring any level of shame or any level of, of guilt around what you have been doing or haven't been doing, but to really empower us and encourage us to know that God wants you to have relationships that are fulfilling. And to know that you can achieve that as you are more and more connected with God. In fact, I believe that with all my heart. If you aren't connected to a relationship with God, the one who designed relationship, it will be impossible for you to understand what love is and how to connect in relationship with other people. And the same is opposite is true as well. If you have bitterness and strife and unforgiveness in your heart towards other people, you will find it really difficult to connect with God in a meaningful and fulfilling way as well. It's amazing how God made us for both these relationships with him and each other and how uh, interconnected and interdependent these relationships really are. So we start to talk about um, I think it's important for us to kind of understand what sex really is. It is powerful, it's sacred, it's beautiful, it's amazing. It is a gift from God. It is the culmination of intimacy and connectedness in a, in a human relationship. In fact, the most intimate gift that, that there is in a human relationship. Challenge is that that's not always how it gets viewed or how it gets treated. When my wife and I were dating, we were about six months into dating. This was 2001, if you could put on your acid wash jeans with me for a moment and, and remember these days. And, and uh, I think we still had our, our pants like dragging on the ground. Wasn't that, was that that era? Or, no, that was a little before that. Um, and we were, I'm just, my wife gave me the look like, babe, stop. Okay, okay. But we were dating and I knew it was time to, I knew it was time to head towards engagement. And so um, there was kind of an order of operations for this in my own heart and my own mind. Like if I'm going to ask her to marry me, I've got to have first asked her dad. And if I'm going to ask her dad, then I have got to have first secured a wedding ring that says, you know what, I'm serious about this and I'm ready to go. Like I'm not going to have this extended engagement while I try to figure all this out or ask her before I get the, the ring. No, I want this to be like 
a sacred, committed, heading towards marriage type momentum in our lives. And so it was the spring of 2001, and I knew that this was coming sometime soon. And so uh, I started working towards getting a wedding ring, getting an engagement ring. And for us, that meant like a diamond. It's got to be special. It's got to be sacred. It's got to be amazing. And so I started um, saving up. In fact, I went to the diamond store and I picked out a, a solitaire that was like the perfect cut. I knew that she liked. It was like amazing color, amazing clarity. It was like kind of this valuable, sacred, amazing stone. And then picking out the perfect setting. And then, and because I didn't have all the money at this point, all right, I'm going to put this thing on layaway. Do they still have layaway? You know what I'm talking about? Where you don't actually get to take it home with you, but you, you actually just make like pay this this ring place all the time week in and week out and I'm like it's kind of my way of saving up for it I'm like I'm committed up front and I'm going to I'm going to pay for this ring and so that's what I did all summer long I was gardening and gardening's like it, you know I worked in some great award-winning gardens and all that stuff but really at the end of the day I'm pulling weeds I'm in the dirt I'm, I'm just kind of rolling through the muck and the mire of Seattle rain and I'm just you know I'm just working but all the time, I have this excitement growing inside of me. I don't care how many weeds it takes, how much mulch I'm spreading, how many bushes I got to prune. I don't care about any of that because I've got my eye on this prize. Like, I'm going to marry this girl, and I cannot wait for the day when I put that ring on her finger and she says yes. And, like, I've got this vision in my heart of how amazing this is going to be. And I love the, 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 the engagement process and the ring that's associated with it and the saving for it and the, the, the whole thing because it's such a picture of the commitment. It's a picture of the sacrifice. Like it's a, it's a picture of the, the, the willingness that you have to like put this relationship as a value and a priority. And really all of that together creates this really sacred, special thing. Like you can never like just just take the ring to the pawn shop, or you can never just kind of throw it away like it's not that big of a deal, because not just the, the monetary value of it, but the memory, the moment that I finally asked her, the moment she said yes, like the sacredness of all of this is intended to give us kind of this picture, this representation of this is what it looks like to have a committed, connected, intimate relationship. This is the kind of investment this takes. This is the kind of sacredness that is there. And I think the problem is that, that sex has become this thing that has zero kind of sacredness to it at all. It has no ability to really ground us in a place where we understand that this is the most intimate human connection possible. And that it's reserved for a very specific context where there's been all this buildup and all this commitment and all this work and specialness. It's become so like transactional. Just, just swiping and selecting somebody to hook up with on an app or just finding somebody that you kind of just met at a, at a, at a bar or whatever and just making it a basic human need that you're getting met has sucked all the life, all the sacredness out of it and it's allowed it to become this thing that is actually building in our lives brokenness, baggage, unfulfillment, pain, suffering. I read several articles from people that aren't followers of Jesus and looking at their perspective, these are relational experts. And so I was like, well, let's, let's read what the relational experts have to say about this. And it's amazing to me, as I read several of these experts, the more uncommitted, the more casual sex becomes in your life, the more unfulfilled and pain-filled your life will become. I'm like, that's amazing. 
That's exactly what scripture teaches us. And, and it's so cool to see that truth is truth, no matter if these people acknowledge the origin of the truth being God himself or not. But, but here, in all of this research and all these relational experts, they would all agree exactly with what scripture teaches us, that this is the most sacred of human connections. And to allow it to be diminished in your, in your life into this kind of transactional place is so damaging, so unfulfilling, and, and so kind of, filling of baggage and pain and suffering that is associated with it. God, you've got to give us another way. Since this is the most intimate human connection, I believe the truth is that casual sex and irreverence around this most intimate human connection will leave you damaged and unfulfilled. So God, give us a different way. That's what's so good about God is he, he doesn't like set us up in this life and just go, hey, figure it out. Hope you don't screw it up too bad. He actually wants to walk with us into the purpose that he has for us. He wants to encourage you and equip you and, and, and keep you walking toward his purpose and experiencing the fullness of who he's made you to be. He, he doesn't just kind of like set this world up and leave it to itself and kind of tell us good luck. He is right here with us in this, wanting us to, to experience the fullness and the fulfillment that he has for each one of us. At the very beginning, God created Adam and Eve. And in this moment, um, it was really kind of cool how it came about. Genesis chapter 2. We'll get to 1 Corinthians 6 here in a moment and break it down a little bit more. But in Genesis 2, I just want to set this stage for you because God created sex. And he created it to exist in, the, in, the, in this amazing, committed relationship called marriage. It's a covenant relationship that God actually designed. Adam was alone on earth. He had a bunch of animals, but none of those animals were like a suitable companion for Adam. And God actually said in his creation account, it's not good that Adam's alone. It's not good for man to be alone. And so I'm going to make him a, a, a somebody, a companion that's suitable for him, that, that lines up with who he is. And so God put Adam into a deep sleep and took one of his ribs from his side. And then from that rib, he made Eve. And when Adam came to, it's like this amazing, glorious, the most crowning moment of all creation. Adam wakes up and he literally starts singing a song. Like, this is how good this moment is. He's like, whoa, that is a woman. <laughs> and, and she is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And like, what an amazing gift, God. Thank you for this amazing woman. And right in that moment, God declares in Genesis 2, 24, he says, and this is why a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This gets quoted in marriage conversations all the time because this is God designing marriage. And the union that he's speaking of here is not just mental and emotional and like contractual, but it's, it's spiritual, it's physical, it's, it's actual union and sex. Like the unity that God is designing us for, this oneness that he's putting in our hearts and our, in our very DNA and our design here at the beginning of creation is this crowning moment of creation. You think of all the beauty of all creation and everything that God designed, the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, all the mountains and all the amazing beauty that you see. This is the crowning moment of all creation. So amazing that Adam, who's probably never sang a song in his life, breaks into a song in this moment. Many of us that have experienced like powerful, loving relationships, intimately connected sexually in, in a marriage context, understand like just this joy and this overflowing sense of wow. That's exactly the way God designed sex to be. Hebrews 13 forces marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. Because of the sacredness, because of how powerful all of this is, it should be kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. 
It's this understanding that if this is how God made it, then this is how we need to keep it. If this is how God designed it, then this is what we need to honor. Then anytime we dishonor God's design and take things outside of the way God designed it to be, we are heading for damage. We are heading for brokenness. We're heading for unfulfillment. We're heading for pain. And I know that there's a lot of competition for this conversation in your life. There's a lot of people all around you saying it's a lot of different ways. It's, the, it's supposed to go however you want it to go, however you feel it should go. That's why I think 1 Corinthians 6, back in that passage that you were with me earlier, verse 9 and 10 is so important. He says, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? It's a rhetorical question, Paul asked the church in Corinth. They've asked him a bunch of questions. They've asked him about lawsuits. They've asked him about people in the church. They've asked him about sexuality. They've asked him about marriage. In this whole letter, Paul is unpacking all the answers to these questions. It's like this big Q&A session. In verse 9, he says, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. I think that's a critical phrase. Because there is so many people saying so many things about sexuality, saying so much about how sex should go and what you deserve and what rights you have and the way you can make it happen. Some of you grew up in families where there is no reverence for God and God's design whatsoever. And so you just were kind of left to your own to make this thing up as you went and you found yourself kind of flailing your way through sexuality and through sex and understanding relationship. But I think this is such a critical phrase. Do not be deceived. Nobody who is sexually immoral, an idolater, an adulterer, men who have sex with men, thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanders, swindlers, none of those people will inherit the kingdom of God. And I think it's important that he just says it plainly here. Because deception gets us to try to tweak it and like make it fit into what we think it should be and should say. And he just says it so simply, so plainly. Listen. People that operate this way, that don't honor sex within the covenant of marriage, they are not people that are going to inherit the kingdom of God. And so for us just to kind of take a step back and go, man, am I deceiving myself? Am I being deceived by lots of different voices and lots of different ideas about this? Have I talked myself into something? It's really important for us to evaluate in our own hearts and our own lives. He gives us some practicality in verse 18. I read it to you a few minutes ago. But if you want to honor the marriage bed and, and, and not invite baggage into your marriage bed from all of your previous partners or your addiction to pornography, if you want to not invite um, um, other people into this marriage covenant, this would be called adultery. If you want to not do any of that, but you want to honor the marriage bed, look at what he says in verse 18. It's super practical. Sexual immorality. I mean, flee is the, the key word there, right? Run away. Don't act like you got it and you're going to figure it out and things are going to be okay. Don't talk yourself into it. Don't, don't deceive yourself and allow yourself to kind of be like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's not going to matter that much. I think this is, this is one of the great deceptions of our own hearts that we do to ourselves is we tell ourselves that we think we got what it takes to, to fight this battle on our own. And Paul's like, no, you actually don't. You need to run away. This is not a battle for you to be like, just kind of like lollygagging around. Like you got to get out of that place. Get away from that app. You got you to filter that thing on your phone. You got to stay away from those people. You got to not go to those places. You got you to run. This is like the only time in scripture that, that he's this explicit about how to deal with temptation in our lives. Run away. Get away from it. Don't act like you're okay with all of it. 
He says, all other sin a person commits are outside the body. I want you to think about this. Like when you um, hate somebody in your heart, it's this sin out there, right? Like I, I'm, I'm, you're gossiping. It's a sin out there. When, when you're backbiting or, or one of these other sins, it's out there. But, but he says this. He says that whoever sins sexually actually sins against their own body. This is you accumulating baggage, brokenness, pain, suffering, agony. It's like loading up a backpack. Some of you got like backpacks just full of rocks of pain and bad decisions that you've made over the years. A porn addiction maybe has just continued to just own your life and own your decision making. And it's like you're just carrying around a giant duffel bag of brokenness that you've caused for yourself. This is why he says it's a sin against your own body is because it's actually affecting your ability to connect with God, your ability to be intimate with other human beings. It's actually affecting every bit of are the sin against your own body. And so flee is the key, key, key word here. Not acting like we're strong enough and we're going to figure it out, but that we actually have an intentionality around, you know what? I need to, I need to honor God's design. I need to honor the marriage bed. I need to keep it pure. I need to keep it holy. God, I'm running away from anything that's going to try to lure me away by my own evil desires inside me. Any show, any movie, any any website, any um, thing that you're scrolling past, any of that, just run. Just run away from it. Don't dabble with it. Don't act like it's going to be okay and you're going to figure it out. Like, get out of Dodge. Like, don't mess around with any of this stuff. The baggage isn't worth it. The pain isn't worth it. The unfulfillment isn't worth it. 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 6, 13 says the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. Verse 15 says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. No, 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 never. Do you not know that he unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two shall become one flesh. I want you to hear this. This is interesting. So earlier I read you Genesis 2:24, and this is what Paul's quoting right here in this passage. But he's not quoting it in the context of marriage. He's, qu he's quoting it in the context of, of adultery or being united with somebody that's not your spouse. Why is he doing that in this context? I think it's really important for you to understand that, that, that sex is, is a union between not just physically. This is part of what has made sex so low in our view and not sacred. Is reducing it to just a physical act. That just, well, I have needs that I just need to get met and I'm just going to kind of do what I need to do to make sure that I have my needs met. When you reduce sex to that thing, you're missing this, that you're actually uniting your soul with another human being. So why would we unite Christ who's inside of us? This is a, an amazing connection to the gospel. The fact that anybody who has put their faith in Jesus Christ has recognized that I'm a sinner and that I need a savior and Jesus died for me and that, that he is, is cleansing me and making me whole and making me right with God. And the moment that we bend our knee to Jesus and repent of our sin, he actually gives us a gift, the deposit of his spirit inside of us. And, and Paul is saying, why would you unite the spirit of God inside you with a prostitute, with this other person who's not your spouse? Why would you do that? The, these two people are actually becoming one when you do that. You're actually bringing these souls together these minds together, these emotions together. It's a sacred union. 
And I think that, that this is, is so critical for us to see in this conversation, that sex is a union. This is why porn is so, so addictive and so destructive as well. Because porn use is essentially us trying to take the physical need and strip it of all the other mental, emotional um, pieces that we don't think really matter. It's just me getting my need met through viewing these images. And when we do that, we are accumulating more and more addiction because there is all this mental activity, emotional activity that's going on at the same time, leaving us more unfulfilled after we have viewed these images or these videos and, and finding ourselves more cavernous in our soul, longing for fulfillment in an even greater way, which then drives us back to pornography again. And the cycle continues. Here's an image that shows what a healthy brain looks like what a brain on heroin looks like and what a brain addicted to pornography looks like. You can see the holes. You can see the caverns. You can see the disconnects. You can see the lack of activity <laughs> in those, those gaps because of this perpetual drive back to this empty trying to get satisfaction in a thing that was never intended to, to unite your soul with an image on a screen. Not only is this another human being that you are exploiting for your own selfishness, but you are leaving yourself more unfulfilled, thus creating a cycle of unfulfillment and more exploitation through this crazy addictive cycle that you've created in your life. Some of you, you got exposed to porn at such a young age, you had no idea, and it just kind of was there on your phone, like as parents, like this is really important for us to pay attention to. Like we, we can't just hand our kids these phones and expect them just to figure it out on, them, on themselves, that we would actually pay attention to how does this all work and what kind of conversations do we need to have. But to see this level of brokenness, I know is like discouraging to go, oh, but I think it's important for us to have reality in front of us and know like exactly what's happening inside of our hearts, that this is a sacred union, that we can't just make it into this, this physical thing that doesn't actually matter. When I, I know when I, I get preached on all of this, it's kind of like, ah, like we've messed up, Richie. I'm addicted, or I'm struggling, or I'm, I'm, I'm I got baggage. My, I, got, I got more bags than I can carry, right? Like I'm like, I need a trolley to pull all this stuff together. And I think that, I know that's painful when you start to reflect on all of this. And I don't say any of this to add to your pain or to your agony. I say all of this just to clarify, this is God's design and this is why it's so important. But here's what I love about God is that no matter where you've been sexually, God is so good at healing and restoring and making all things new. Like that brain that's full of holes, God can actually take and, and mend back to this place of health and wholeness. Like he has the power to do that. And one of the most critical things is your posture as you hear this message. The most critical things is your posture, understanding, all right, what does it look like for me to work back towards healing and wholeness in God's design? What does that actually look like for me to pursue God's design wholeheartedly? Every person that I coach out of porn addictions or that I, I help get on track sexually with God's design is this. You and I got to get more passionate about God's design than we are even about stopping the sin patterns in our life. Becoming the men and women that he's called us to be has got to become the desire of our heart. It's got to become the passion of our soul. It's got to become the aim and the focus of our attention. And as you put all your energy, like, like, like in that engagement days, as I'm saving up all those dollars, I'm pulling all those
those weeds. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in the, in the rain trying to figure out what is it ever is going to take. How many jobs do I need to get to save up for this ring? I had a goal in mind. I'm going to marry this girl, right? Like I cannot wait to put this ring on her finger. And I think for you, like that, that goal for many of us has been out of sight and out of mind. And so all we have is the broken cycle. And you go, man, I need to stop sinning so much. I need to stop sleeping with whoever. I need to stop this and I need to stop that. That is one of the most debilitating ways to live. Stop this, stop that, don't do this, don't do that. Man, that is not a fulfilling place. But to put your eyes on the goal of who God has called you to be and the place that he is calling you to go and to run after that destination with all your heart, man, there's so much joy in that. And the way that your brain will actually be rewired and, and the healing that'll take place as you are running towards God's purpose for your life is so much more satisfying. You, those images could actually be erased from your mind over time. Like what a gift from God that you could actually, those partners that you've been with could actually slip out of your consciousness and those memories can go away. They don't have to be carried into your marriage bed with you and, and, and haunt you as you are trying to be intimate with your spouse. You can actually see God heal these wounds and this brokenness in your life. That's what I love about the character and the nature of God is that he puts a design in front of us, calls us to run after it with all of our hearts, and then gives us the power, the strength, and the healing to become those kind of people. He doesn't leave you on your own. He puts the spirit inside you and he gives you the courage and the power to walk toward that purpose for your life. What gift. That is how good our God is. And so I want you to, to lift your head in this conversation and not to get discouraged and broken and beat down, but to actually go, God, what does it look like for me to run after your best for this life? Don't get tangled up in trying to stop sinning. Focus on all this stuff. I got to quit. Pretty soon that just becomes this heavy religion that is lifeless. I want us to have our eyes on the holiness that God has called us to be, the kind of people with the kind of character that he's asked us to have. I want us to have our eyes on that prize, on that purpose, and I want us to run after it with all our hearts, with all our passion, with all our joy, with all of our strength and all of our might to know that as God, we give ourselves fully to become these kind of men and women, that you can meet us in that place and you can transform us and heal us and make us into the men and women that you've called us to be. I just got a couple minutes left and I want to address sex within the context of marriage, because I've been talking about this outside of marriage. Essentially, here's the bottom line of sex outside of marriage, is that it, outside of marriage, sex will be unfulfilling and filled with baggage. Inside of sex is where God is designed, inside of marriage is where God has designed sex to be. And so if you hear anything, hear that. Pornography and sex outside of marriage is not God's design. Marriage is where God designed sex to be enjoyed and fulfilled. When it comes to sex within the context of marriage, many of you asked a bunch of questions about this because um, some of your sexual relationships in marriage are damaged and, and struggling. And I totally think that that's an important piece for us to consider. Look at chapter seven of 1 Corinthians with me for just a moment. Verse two says, since there is so much immorality, he's speaking of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. That's kind of the simple cure for immorality, Paul says. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. This is not romantic language. Trust me on this. And likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife's body does belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Men, that's not really a good pickup line, but uh, <laughs> see how it goes. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. 
Paul gives us this, this picture right here within the context of marriage that, that sex is designed for you and I in the context of marriage to enjoy and really be um, what I would say is the culmination of intimacy and connectedness in your marriage. One of my friends who's a marriage counselor, one of his first questions that he asked to couples that he's sitting down with to counsel about their marriage is he asked them, how many times a month are you guys having sex? If we're gonna work on your marriage, I wanna know where your intimacy level is at. And, and here's what his fundamental belief is, and I agree with, is that, that sex really is a, an, a fruit of connectedness and intimacy in your marriage. It's like this expression of like, oh, we're close, we're connected, we're united, we're intimate. We have relationship that is growing and strong. And oftentimes you can look at, at sexual um, relationship within a marriage and see, man, if there's, if there's big gaps or it's really disconnected, like that, that is very true of the relationship as a whole. And so it's important for us to pay attention to those of us that are married and, and what it looks like, what healthy, kind of sex looks like within the context of marriage so that we understand um, where we are at, connectedness and otherwise. And I think that this conversation is, uh, it's delicate for all of us to understand that sex is, our, is our, our gift to our spouse within the context of marriage and our responsibility. It's a gift of ourselves, of, of that closeness and that intimacy. It's a, it's a gift of our, of our saying, I am still like one with you and I'm choosing you day in and day out, month in and month out. You you're out. And somebody stopped me in the, in the lobby and she's like, we've been married 51 years and here you go talking about sex in the context of marriage and, and just saying thank you. Like this is something that we need to talk about even after 51 years being married. And, and, and I think that it's important to carry sex in marriage as a gift. Gift to be given, a gift to be received. It's not owed to you. It's a gift. It's not something you demand from your spouse. It's not something you deprive your spouse of. It's a gift. And for you to hold it in that manner in your relationship can help to grow and build the intimacy of your relationship. And to know like, oh, this is a, an outpouring of the, the connectedness that we have. And man, sex is in, maybe it's in, I don't know, some of you have damage in your relationship from previous brokenness. and. It's clearly evidenced by the lack of sex in your marriage. And it's, it's good to see that and then to begin to talk about and work towards healing and restoration and reconciliation. We've got consequences in our marriage of, of brokenness in our past. And I think it's important to recognize that you probably have those as well in your marriage. And it's like, these are opportunities for us to work on. Things for us to continue to repent of and walk away from and continue to strengthen and unite around in our marriage know that sex is going to be an outflowing of that. So uh, when I see Paul's passage here, I just go, okay, let's not be people who deprive each other. Let's not be people who demand from each other. But let's treat sex within the context of marriage as a gift. It's not something I'm owed, but it's an opportunity I have to give. It's something that I could receive as a gift. What a gift. That your spouse would trust you with their body this way. What a joy to have that intimacy and that connection and that sacred union in the context of marriage. I know some of you are newly wed in the room and maybe sex isn't what you thought it would be in the context of marriage. Maybe too many movies kind of played it up in your mind. And you're like, huh, this is it? Like, 
like you maybe feel a little disillusioned around it. And I would just encourage you to continue to grow in the grace and the gift of sexuality in your marriage. And God can take that and continue to make that super fulfilling in your relationship. I'd say as well, um, just by way of, of helping to bring clarity that as, as you're navigating sex in the context of marriage, to really treat this as a gentle part of your whole relationship, but something that you do need to really invest in as a part of your relationship. Sometimes we're counseling people that are struggling in their marriage and they're just fighting all the time. We're like, it's amazing how sometimes you just need to go have sex with your spouse. It's like, that doesn't fix everything. Don't hear me say that, but man, it just kind of starts to smooth out the water a little bit so things can start to move towards a healthier spot. Any kind of behavior that is demanding or destructive, you need to repent of to your spouse and walk away from courageously. I wanna pray for you today. If you would stand to your feet with me. I love that our God is a God that can heal, our God that can restore, a God that can make things new that have been broken and torn apart, a God that can take baggage and brokenness and, and make us whole again. Maybe you just need to close your eyes right now and just ask God for that kind of healing in your heart and your mind. Maybe you're in the room today and you would just lift your hand and just say, Richie, I need healing from God, from baggage and brokenness in my life. Just lift your hand to him right now. God, you see every hand, every heart that just says, I need healing in Jesus' name. God, you are a healer. You are our strength. You are our hope. You are the one that we cling to. God, we want to run after your design and your purposes, God. We want to walk away from all of this brokenness that we've caused, damage that's been done to us, God painful, broken parts of our past, Lord. We're just asking you to be our healer and the restorer of all things that have been taken and torn apart in our lives. Some of you are addicted in, in this room to pornography, to sex, and you just would courageously put your hand in the air right now and just say, I need freedom. I need freedom. Put your hand in the air right now. This is you in a moment of faith just saying, God set me free. God set me free. God, I am declaring victory over every hand in the air, every soul that these represent, God, that you would bring freedom from this addiction in the name of Jesus, that you would give us, God, a desire more for you and your kingdom than these sexual urges and these temptations in our life. God, I pray that you would set captives free, Jesus. That's what you said you came to do, and so do it in this room right now in the name of Jesus, God. I just pray and speak your purity over every marriage bed, God, every future marriage, God, that your purity, your holiness, God, would be a the center of every one of these marriages, God, where there's been brokenness and destruction and division, we just speak Jesus healing and peace and restoration in the powerful, powerful name of Jesus. You are so good, God. Thank you, Jesus. Any, anybody in this room today that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, and right now you would just say, God, I need a Savior. Put your hand in the air right now and just acknowledge, God, I need you to be my Savior. I repent of trying to make my life my own, and I just come to you wholeheartedly right now, Jesus, saying, be my Savior. Just put your hand in the air all over the room. God, you see these people that are saying yes to you right now, Jesus. I pray that you would fill them with faith, God, to believe that you love them, that you have called them by name, that you know them, that you uh, God, want to save them and draw them to yourself, Jesus. Give them the courage to turn from the life that they've been living and turn wholeheartedly to you, Jesus, right now. We thank you for victory. We thank you for freedom. We thank you for salvation in this room in the name of Jesus. Can you put your hands together today and just thank God?